Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District Podcast. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by a self-confessed Manchester United fanatic, a man who many of you, you all know as Doc United on Twitter. It's one and only Dr. Barry Schmeiser. Barry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Henry. Um, appreciate your having me all this distance away. No, it's all right. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Barry. Um, obviously, there's you know, a, lot, a lot going on to speak about with United at the minute. It's been a Bit of a roller coaster of a season, I think it's fair to say. You know, there's, there's a lot of talking points as there always is with United. You know, different positions and players and and things to talk about. But I thought before we sort of get into the current United team, I'd like to sort of ask you a little bit, a little bit about your journey, sort of supporting United. I know obviously you you've got a season ticket. You've been to you know many Manchester United games. You've seen you know all sorts over the years in your in your time supporting United. I was just going to sort of ask you, what are the sort of the players and the moments that stick out to you and, and like in the early stages of you sporting United, so like sort of growing up and, and, and whatever, what was your sort of affection with United and how, how did that sort of begin really? Yeah. So United, of course, are massive all over the world. And my kind of following of United started when I was probably six years old. Um, at that time, living in what was then Rhodesia, now of course, Zimbabwe. Mm. And like many young kids, I had older cousins who were football fans and they supported United. So you kind of followed suit. Um, But um, a short while thereafter, we um, became really acutely aware of the wonderful Holy Trinity of Charlton Law and Best. Mm. The very first item of memorabilia that I probably got was a card cut out at the back of a cereal box of Dennis Law. So that's my very earliest recollection of any item of memorabilia that I ever had. And in those days, um, soon after that, my family moved to South Africa. And there was no television in South Africa. There was television in Rhodesia, as it was then. And my school holidays used to be spent there because my grandparents all lived there. And we were exposed to um, English football Never live, though, in those days. We'd get match of the day and big match a few days after they were played. Mm. And, of course, United were big news then, and I used to see United playing. And along came this fella, George Best, who a lot of us took a shine to because he had this hairstyle that really appealed to us. And in 1967, my dad needed to travel to London to get a certificate from the pharmacy board. He was a pharmacist by profession. And he needed to get a certificate from the British Pharmacy Board. And on the day that we arrived in London, I always remember the headlines on the back page of the newspaper, United had just beaten Liverpool 200 Anfield and George Best scored both goals. And there began the absolute love affair with Man United because I was exposed to them on television there. And in fact, watched them play in a game at Stamford Bridge, 1967, November George Best was playing, Bobby Charlton was playing, Dennis was injured. And, you know, just I have memories of that day. And from that day onwards, becoming really a staunch United fan, a few months later, we won the European Cup for the first time. And I remember seeing the result. I was back in South Africa, had to read the result the day after the game in a newspaper. So the early recollections really were of newspapers, television programs in Rhodesia and then television hit South Africa in the mid 70s and that's when it really took off but by then we were all fanatical United supporters following them 
in various magazines, mm. Shoot, Goal, Charles Buckins, Football Monthly, those various things. And, you know, the love affair sprouted from there. And United, big news all over, all over Africa, that's for sure. Mm. No, yeah, that's a sort of fantastic story. And you say there, you know, the impact that sort of, you know, similar, similar way to sort of how I got into United, to be honest. You know, I'm not a traditional United fan as such, you know, not from Manchester. My, my dad sort of went to a couple of games and, and used to bring home programmes and stuff like that. So it's, you know, yeah. sort, of a, uh, sort of connection there. I was going to ask you, you sort of touched on it, I think, with, with, a, with a name you mentioned there of George Best. And I was going to ask you sort of throughout the entire time, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but throughout the entire time you supported United and, and sort of followed them, who is the best player you've seen in the United shirt? Is, is it George Best to you? Without a doubt. Mm. Um, the most apt surname that somebody could ever have. Yeah. Because he certainly lived up to it on the football field. And why George Best when we've had so many utterly sublime players over the years? Um, and of course, these, this is one of the beauties of football because we've all got our favourites, we've all got our opinions, mm. and certainly those like myself consider ourselves major armchair experts, yep. which of course we're not, but we like to think we are. Mm. But why George Best? Because in the days that Bestie played, the pitches were as heavy as hell. They were muddied. The ball was heavy. The shirts that they wore were made of material that when it rained, the shirt became heavy. The opponents that he used to play against were absolute hatchet men. The likes of Tommy Smith, Ron Chopper Harris, Norman Bite Your Legs Hunter. These guys used to be out for the kill. Um, the tackle from behind wasn't illegal. And, you know, if you had to transpose a game from the 60s or early 70s to modern day, I think that there'd probably be about four players left on the field at the end of the game because it was really a very, very physical game. And they used to kick lumps out of best. And he is probably the bravest player I've ever seen. He was never intimidated. He was a wisp of a fellow and he used to come back for more. He beat a guy and beat him again. And his sense of balance, his speed, his pace, his dribbling skills good with both feet, good in the air. And, you know, if you look at his record for United, um, you know, he, he, he had a sublime scoring record for a guy who played wide. I think 178 or 179 goals for United um, in roughly sort of 400 and something appearances. You know, for a wide man, that was phenomenal. So for me, always an absolute favourite. And, of course, you know, when you, when you look at publications today where they sort of publish... United's top 100 ever footballers, they're usually online polls and they, no disrespect, but they're answered by young lads like yourself who never had the opportunity of watching these fellows. And the other thing is a lot of the footage that one sees, especially from the 60s, is in black and white and it's difficult to, you know, to appreciate. But for me, our greatest player ever. No, I, I got to be honest. I I completely agree with you. You know, with the the online poll thing, that's that's absolutely spot on. I mean, yeah, that is our most sort of metric to decide now isn't it really you know a lot of people look look online to sort of um gauge opinion and obviously that's yeah you're, you're right in that sense i i love hearing people talk about george best and, and i try to watch as much as i can of him with with what's available and, and various documentaries and, and clips etc obviously i'll never have the the uh the obviously the, the great fantastic thing of being able to sort of watch him 
live in the flesh or you know as you say you know it's different watching it live compared to the, the clips that I've got available but from what you can see I mean just yeah the, the heavy ball the, the pitch that was scuffed all scuffed to hell I mean yeah it, it, it truly was a mag, magnificent player and uh, yeah thank you for, uh, for telling us a bit about him there because it's uh, I, something I think you know if you speak to guys older than I am who had the privilege of watching United in the 50s yeah you know you get guys saying that Duncan Edwards even at the tender age of 21 having tragically lost his life was the greatest player that we've ever had. So, you know, opinions vary, but all in all, we are privileged to have had all these wonderful players wearing the red shirt of United. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, I was going to ask you another question. Obviously, you've, you've been to Old Trafford many a time. I'm not sure how many, how many times you've been exactly. I don't know if you, you know yourself how many times you've yeah, been. Yeah, I, I think I've been, you know, I, I've got to say at the outset, getting to Old Trafford, if you're somebody living in the UK, it's really not a major, major problem. Although the guys living in the south of England will tell you they've got to be up early in the day. Well, living in South Africa, you've got to be up early a couple of days before. Because mm. obviously it's a long flight, etc. Yeah. But um, I think I've been to Old Trafford in all 80 times. Yeah. Um, and wow. it's always a thrill to go there. It matters not who the opposition are because... You know, I'm going there to watch United and to enjoy the atmosphere and to behave like an absolute banshee in the northwest quadrant where my seat is and to yell and scream with my fellow supporters. And that's what it's all about. It's wonderful. Exactly. And that brings me nicely into my next question, which was, what do you think's the best? I was going to ask you your best. I'll ask two questions, actually, because it's I'll, I'll divide it a bit. First of all, the best moment that you've witnessed in person at a United game, and then best game in general that you've witnessed, if you could. I know that's two very, very hard questions. That I've, uh, that yeah, I've these, are, these are hard questions. So I'm, I'm thinking in the recesses of my mind in terms of, you know, funnily enough, the best atmosphere that I've experienced at Old Trafford was a game that we lost. Mm. And it was the game against Real Madrid when Nani was sent off. You know, that, yeah. that was an incredible atmosphere because, you know, European night, game played under floodlights, everything to play for. And before the game started, when they were announcing the teams, when they read out the United side and they read out Ryan Giggs's name, Giggsy that night um, was breaking some sort of a record. I, I'm afraid my memory is not serving me well exactly what it was. But the, crowd went, the crowd went ballistic when they announced his name. But then they read out the Real Madrid team. And when they read out Ronaldo's name, they went even more ballistic. I, it was phenomenal. But of course, as the game kicked off and Ronaldo touched the ball, there were a few good-natured boos. They weren't vindictive. They, they were good-natured boos. And it's a, it's a game I'll always remember because it really was a wonderful atmosphere over there. Um, special moments for me, again, it would be a game probably didn't mean much to many, but my first ever viewing of Man United at Old Trafford. Mm. 1983, United were playing Watford. Um, John Barnes was in the Watford team. And in the United side was Laurie Cunningham on loan from West Brom. Mm scored a goal with an overhead kick and United went on thereafter to, um, to get into the FA Cup final. And in fact, expanding on that, that was my first visit to Manchester, 1983. And um, Gary Bailey was the United goalkeeper at the time. 
And obviously having the South African connection, before traveling to the UK, Gary's dad was still living in Johannesburg. And there was a book that we all had called the Telephone Directory that I think is foreign to young lads like you. And I looked up his dad's number in the telephone directory and said, I'm traveling to the UK. I'd like to go and watch United playing and training. Do you think I could meet up with Gary? And he had a parcel that he wanted taking for Gary, which I acted as the courier. And I met him in Manchester and met him, in fact, at the cliff and watched the team training at the cliff, the old training ground. And Gary organized tickets for us for um, the FA Cup semi-final, United playing Arsenal that season. And it was a great game. We beat Arsenal 200 Villa Park. Brian Robson scored a great goal. And Norman Whiteside scored an absolute screamer in that game. So that was a great game to watch. But coming from afar, it's just thrilling to watch United, no matter what happens. And I suppose best moments, I was at Wembley to see us win the double in 1994 and in 1996. So those were, were great moments. And if I had to say what were my most disappointing moments, the fact that for the Champions League final in 1999, I had a ticket but I had a family function that I had to attend to the United States. My wife threatened me with divorce if I went to the football game. And I'm still wondering whether I made the right decision. <laughs> Although if she's watching this, I still love her very dearly. <laughs> no, for fair play. I mean, some, some great stories there. Um, I've heard from, you know, quite a few accounts that that Real Madrid game in 2013, obviously, you know, ridiculous decision against Nani, but on the night the the atmosphere you know was unbelievable and yeah I've, I've seen the sort of um the clips of it where Alan Keegan sort of waits doesn't he until the end of the Real Madrid team sort of moved Ronaldo's name to the end for the yeah. Real sort of a yeah it's yeah. fantastic fantastic to see um I'd love to have been there I went to the um 2018 Juventus home game we lost that one one nil as well but yeah. Ronaldo live I mean that was massive for me so I, I enjoyed that yeah you know, oh yeah, to watch to watch Ronaldo was just fabulous because mm -hmm. I had the opportunity, like many United fans, of watching him in each of the six seasons that he played for United. And you know, to see how he grew, yeah. not only physically but as a person, um, phenomenal, absolutely, what a magnificent player. Mm. No, I can only imagine sort of watching him live in the sort of. 2004, 2005 sort of period where he was still sort of finding his feet, you know, the, the show pony as it were. I, I yes. can imagine, despite the frustrations, I can imagine he was such an yeah. enjoyable... Well, you know, my first, my first encounter was, um, I, I, I guess I've been very fortunate, if you had to say to me, one of my best experiences in watching United, probably watching them training at, at Carrington on the, on the number of occasions that I was able to go there. And the first time I encountered him, he had acne. He was wearing braces on his teeth. I mean, he was a 17-year-old, you know, wet behind the ears. But just watching him on the training ground, um, doing special things and watching, you know, you, you hear of players staying after training, um, doing extra things. And one certainly noticed this with him. And in listening to accounts by fellow players, I mean, they all used to say that when he first joined the club, he used to tell them he was going to become the best footballer in the world. And in my opinion, he achieved that. Yeah, 
absolutely. There's always that clip, isn't there, that does the rounds of, I think it's, who is it, him, Rio and Anderson, I think. <laughs> Anderson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, is, uh, which, is, which is good to see. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, the confidence for a young age and he certainly, certainly, um, certainly lived up to that. I was going to sort of ask you about um, your experiences at the training ground because I've seen these, you know, these amazing photos of you with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, I think sort of Paul Pogba, Sir Alex, etc. I was going to ask you sort of how that yeah. came about. I know you said about the sort of cliff in the eighties. Uh, I have to say that I, I suppose in life things often are about knowing the right people or being in the right place at the right time, and I can't help feeling, you know, when I look back on my own sort of career as a supporter. I've been unbelievably privileged. There are guys who probably live half a mile away from Old Trafford who have never had the opportunity of going to watch United. So I feel immensely privileged with respect to that. And I always think that in recounting these stories, I would sincerely hope that in no ways do they come across as being boastful or anything like that, because that is never my intention. And... You know, going back to the 1980s and the 1990s, when United trained at the Cliff, of course, it was open to the public. You could go there and you could watch them training, except, I think, on days prior to matches. And through Gary Bailey, um, I made contact with a gent that was working at United called Barry Moorhouse. And Barry was the most unbelievable individual because Barry's role in those years was to act as liaison with supporters clubs all over the world. And we established the South African Man United Supporters Club in 1990. So we're now 31 years old as a supporters club. And Barry was incredible to us because back in those days, if we used to go on a club tour, he would arrange for the supporters to come and watch training, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really terrific. And after games, there would always be a presentation to a player from a supporters club branch, often one of the Irish supporters clubs, one of the English supporters clubs, and they'd make this presentation after the game and very, very kindly used to include me in those presentations. Mm. But then came the move to Carrington and Carrington became a closed item. No, no member of the public could go there. I wasn't allowed to go there. And then as a supporter, my life changed because one day back in 2002, came into my office as a patient, a gent called Carlos Queiroz. Now, obviously in medicine, we don't discuss our patients, but just safe to say that it was completely routine. He's an extremely healthy individual, nothing wrong with him. And without a doubt, one of the nicest people that I've ever had the privilege of meeting. And when he came to see me, he had been recently fired as the South African national team coach. So he was in between jobs. And at my office, there is a massive collection of Man United memorabilia hanging on all the walls in all the passageways. When he came to see me, we did not exchange one word about football. Not one word was mentioned about it. And about a week later, I was watching Sky News and I see that he's been appointed as Sir Alex's assistant. So I was watching this news broadcast. It was about 11.30 p.m. in Johannesburg. I got in my car, went to my office and got his file out that had his mobile telephone number in it. And I called him at midnight. And I said to him, you know, you came to see me a week ago. You saw all these pictures. Why didn't you say anything? And he said, you know, when he saw this, he was bursting to tell me the negotiations he was involved in to go to United 
but obviously wasn't able to do so. And then came the magic words, next time you're in Manchester, please contact me. And forged a friendship over a number of years. And I'm proud to say it still exists. I've remained in contact with him through all his jobs. You know, he was in Iran for eight years as the national coach. He then, uh, I mean, after leaving United, of course, his United stint was in two sections because there was a season at Real Madrid in between. He then became the Portugal national coach. So we met up in Johannesburg in the 2010 World Cup when he was here. Most recently, the national coach of Colombia. So Carlos was an amazing man. And I used to spend evenings with him, dinners with him. And because of him, I was able to go to Carrington. And that was really a privileged position to be in. And I used to watch the team training. I used to sit and have lunch with him in the players' canteen afterwards. The coaching staff would gravitate there. So, you know, you're sitting at a table with Carlos and Sir Alex. And, you know, when you, when you talk to Fergie, certainly as myself not being Scottish, the first couple of times you need an interpreter to understand what he's saying. But, you know, after a while you, you get to know. And, you know, as I say, forged this friendship. And as a result of that, a very, very privileged ability to be at the training ground and also to, to sit in one of his seats in the director's box when he was there. Now, sitting in the director's box versus sitting on the Stretford end or standing on the Stretford end. In the director's box, you cannot arrive with club colours. You have to wear a tie and you've got to kind of behave yourself. Yeah. So no swearing at the referee or anything mm. like that. Um, the upside... On a freezing Manchester day at half time, you can go in and get a warm cup of coffee. But the Stretford ends the place to be, I have to say. So, you know, that, that's been my story with respect to that. And now that Carlos isn't there, my access to Carrington has ceased. So, you know, that's, that's a thing of the past. But I still get a high on some wonderful memories of, of visiting there. And, of course, now security is such that it's... Uh, I think unless you're a major sponsor, it's a no-go area. No, what a magnificent, you know, what a magnificent story that is. Thank, thank you for telling that. Um, I think you may have had an impact on Carlos Barry. I think you know he, he made his decision might not have been quite made up. He may have seen your memorabilia and decided to sign the contract. So I think you know, thank you for that. Um, if that is the case. You know, just on just on that subject. In fact, we visited him in Madrid when he was coaching at Real Madrid for that season. Yeah, and you know, it was the season of the Galacticos, so. We got to go to a training session of Real Madrid. And, you know, in those days, there was Figo and Zidane, the Brazilian Ronaldo, David Beckham was there. Um, so it was also an awesome experience, but not a happy experience for him. You know, he lasted just the one season over there. Mm, no, yeah, of course. Um, I was going to sort of ask you, we already spoke a little bit there about Sir Alex, we've got this news coming out today that, that Amazon are going to be sort of, there's been a documentary that's directed by, I believe, yes. his son, one of his sons um, that's coming out, which I massively look forward to. I'm sure you do as well. Um, yes. I know, I know you've, you've met him on multiple occasions and I actually met him once outside Old Trafford as, as a child and I remember the aura of the, of the man sort of looking up at him as, as a kid was, was quite, I, quite unbelievable. I, I, have, I have to say, if you, would you mind if I throw a couple of anecdotes at you? No, please do, Barry. This is what you're uh, here for. Please do. So, so the first time I ever encountered him, mm. through my friend Barry Moorhouse, one of my absolute ambitions was to meet Sir Matt Busby. Mm. 
And through Barry, I was able to go to Sir Matt's office at Old Trafford about a year before Sir Matt passed away. And Sir Matt was sitting in his office. Barry took me in and introduced me to him on hearing that I was from South Africa. In fact, he asked about Gary Bailey and, you know, had a few questions about him. And he was really, he was a very engaging gentleman. I'll always remember his office smelt of pipe smoke because he was an avid pipe smoker, Mm. but immaculately dressed and just incredible to meet him. And while I was sitting and talking to him, breezes into his office, Alex Ferguson, who comes up to me, pumps my hand and says, hi, um, we haven't met. My name's Alex. As if I didn't know who he was. You know, so it was quite, it was a surreal moment. It really, it really was. And incredible to see the respect with which he treated Sir Matt. And a number of years later, um, in fact, 2008, United were touring South Africa. And a benefit dinner was set up at one of the race courses here for an ex-footballer. He was a Scottish guy called John Grant that Sir Alex had actually, he was either a friend or played with him. And Sir Alex was the guest speaker that evening. Mm. But it so happened that that evening, the Man United squad were invited to be guests of the mayor and the premier of the province in which Johannesburg is in. Mm. Fergie did not go to that dinner. He went to the fundraising dinner for John Grant because he made a commitment to be there, make a speech, etc. And I have to say that just the most unbelievable man, he has an unbelievable aura about him. And on one of my visits to the cliff, in fact, Quinton Fortune was playing for United at the time. And of course, fellow South African. Mm. So at the end of the training session, I asked Quinton if he wouldn't mind giving me a lift back into town. He'd recently joined United. And I think he was staying at the Cockthorn Hotel in, in Manchester. And in the car that day, and it's a club car. Now, it's 1998, 99. No Lamborghinis or whatever. He's a Ford mm. And his passenger was Mikhail Silvestri, who had just joined United. So I'm sitting in the back seat. They're sitting in the front. And they're talking. And I hear Quinton saying to Silvestri, it's just one word of advice I want to give you. Whatever you do, don't piss off the manager. I'll <laughs> never forget him saying that. You know, it was just it just epitomized Fergie. And you know, if he'd walk into the room, if there was a noise in the room, when he'd walk inside the room, would go silent. Uh, he is he's the most imposing person that I've ever met in my life. Yeah, no, I think you know, I think a lot of people who've met him would share that as well and you know I, as I say you know I met him but I was I was very young I do remember it though um it was yeah it, it was just the aura of, of the man and you know obviously carried himself with great class which I think was you know alongside all his, alongside all his magnificent sort of achievements and accolades I think that was probably the the thing that most people mention about him which I think you know is a testament to the man he is and hopefully this Amazon documentary gives us you know a, more of an insight into that which I'm sure you know yeah all, all, all the United fans are wanting to see you already touched upon sort of your memorabilia you can see the background there's a selection there of you know magnificent uh magnificent stuff and I I absolutely love football memorabilia so it really sort of interests me I was going to ask what are your sort of favorite bits I know that's hard it's like asking you to sort of choose your favorite child if you like <laughs> what have you got any sort of bits that stick out to you is that you've got a sort of special place for yeah you know you talk about favorite child or favorite son 
Um, I've got two sons, but we also have a Maltese poodle. And I always tell my sons that the Maltese poodle is my favorite son. <laughs> um, as, as far as memorabilia is concerned, I have to say I'm in absolute awe of some of the memorabilia that some people have. Mm. You know, especially United stuff pre-war and Busby Babes and things like that. And of course, memorabilia has become a major industry nowadays. And one of the big problems with memorabilia is that there are a lot of forgeries out there. So, I, and the other thing that I always kind of think of is that living in South Africa, we're not exposed to much memorabilia here. There aren't shops where you can go and buy it or things like that. You know, you can buy the United shirts and things like that. Yeah. So the stuff that I've got in my collection, almost every single item were things that were signed in front of me on one of my visits to the training ground or one of the grounds. And um, the gent that I alluded to earlier, Barry Moorhouse, very kindly, every season that I used to go there, I'd buy the latest team poster and he'd get that poster signed for me by the players. Now, in more recent times, of course, the big thing is to have a shirt with all the signatures on it. Yeah. I used to prefer having a team poster because it became much easier to identify the signatures because the guy would really sign where he was. Whereas on a lot of these shirts, if you encounter the guy on the training ground and he's running off, you get a quick squiggle on the shirt that unless you photograph the moment, sometimes it's difficult to remember you know, what you've got. But in terms of my favorite items, I have one item that was given to me. It was not, I didn't obtain it because the signatures came before I was born. There was a gent that was the secretary of our supporters club who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Mm. And his wife brought me a little book of his, which she asked, she passed on to me. And it was a book that he'd had as a schoolboy. And in it was a page that said, Man United 1957. And on that page are the signatures of the Busby Babes, as well as Matt Busby, Tom Curry, the trainer who passed away in that air crash. So that's probably my most prized possession. And yeah. then George Best came to play in Johannesburg in 1974. He'd left United by then, and he guested for one of our local teams called Jewish Guild. Mm. And we used to go and watch him training. And I met him over there. So I've got a bunch of things that he signed to me. So that's a prized possession. And then for a birthday, my wife very kindly got me a shirt which was signed by all the treble winners of 99. Wow. Um, so these are prized possessions, I guess. But everyone has a story and it's the memories that they conjure up. So I kind of love every one of them, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, no, that, that is fair enough. As you say, yeah, they've all got, they've all got some sort of, as you say, a story, uh, sort of attachment to each of them. Um, yeah, I think I'd struggle to make my bits. I don't have as many of you, but... I'm sorry, one other thing that I would throw in there is the 25th anniversary of United winning the 68 European Cup. They released a football that was signed by the entire team, as well as Sir Matt Busby. Mm. Um, they were all obviously alive at that stage. So there were 1,968 of these balls that were released. Um, I have one of them. Um, wow. I'll see if I can reach over my shoulder. It's somewhere yeah. on the, I don't know if you can see it in the, in yes. the background. Yes, yeah, but yeah. 
wow. up there and all. This is just one of the rooms that I've kind of done up, so I'll just pan around it a little bit. I don't know how much of it you can see. No, but these are, these are all prized, prized possessions because they're memories. And then I, I, I like collecting programs. I've tried to get the United program back to my year of birth, which is 1958. Mm. Um, so I've subscribed to the program since 1975, and I've gotten a lot of back issues through program dealers. So there are a handful I'm missing. Obviously, 58, they're very much in demand. And because of the poor postal service in South Africa, my programs of the last couple of seasons get mailed to your fellow panelist of yesterday, Peter Bolton. Mm. So I don't know when I'm next going to get to Manchester, but I'm going to have to send a whole suitcase home unaccompanied luggage with a whole lot of programs and magazines. Yeah, I'm sure that, I mean, that's, that's a lot of combined weight as well. I think, you know, when you get a few programs. Fortune. Up, yeah. That's a, a fortune. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll move on to the current United side. Thank you, Barry, by the way, for, for some of those anecdotes. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed uh, hearing them. We'll move on to the current United side. It's been a bit of a, uh, as I've already sort of mentioned, a bit of a roller coaster season, and God knows yeah. where it's going to go next. Really, we we could end up yeah. we could end up scrapping City for the title, or we could be, you know, scrapping for Europa League place. Who knows in this current sort of climate? Sure. Um, sure. I just want to ask what you've sort of thought of the season in general. We're sort of at a halfway point right. now. Right. So I thought I just well, I think you know nowadays with social media, with such good TV coverage, every move is scrutinised. Remember that my high school years were traumatic because Man United got relegated when I was in high school. So, you know, I think to myself, if there'd been social media back in those days, the mind boggles at what we might have seen. So, had you, you know, the, the old adage, at the start of the season, if someone would have said United are going to top the league at one stage, they're going to be coming second, the old cliche, you would have bitten his hand off or whatever. I think United are a work in progress, which is probably a euphemism for we're not that great at the moment, but we are improved. There's no question about it. And if you look at the side, in my most humble opinion, we're probably the best off that we've been since Fergie left. So we're improved. Mm. Um, I get the impression it's kind of two steps forward, one step backwards. And football is a game of fine margins. It's a game of what-ifs always. If you think about it, we're seven points behind City. We've dropped seven points in the games against West Brom, Sheffield United and Everton. If you think about those games, we shouldn't have lost or drawn any of those games. You know? But we did. Yeah. And what, what disappoints me is in the current side, we just don't seem to be able to kill off these so-called lesser sides. One knows that on any day, any side can beat any other side. But when you watch, and I, I hate speaking about the other clubs, but when you watch the likes of City, um, maybe not Liverpool so much at the moment, but they play these lesser sides. They score early goals. Yeah. We tend not to do that. We score far more goals in the second half than the first half. And I think, that, I think any manager shows loyalty to certain players. And if I'm allowed to be outspoken, um, I'm not sure if I am, but if I look at the current side, in my most humble opinion, and as mentioned, I'm an armchair critic supreme, a centre-back, a defensive midfielder, an attacking wide right player, 
We, we're crying out for those players. And that's where, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you go and play a team like West Brom. They've leaked more goals than any other team in the league. We start with two defensive midfielders. I, I can't get my head around that, but I'm not a football coach. But in the main, I've enjoyed a lot of the performances this season. But United are the best to watch when we play at pace. When we play the slow build-up game, playing out from the back, etc., it's a little bit excruciating at times. Do I think Oli in or Oli out? Definitely not Oli out at this moment in time. I think that the team has progressed. Um, is he going to take us to great heights? It remains to be seen. But hey, let's just enjoy the ride. Let's enjoy the football. We're Man United supporters. We get behind them. And I think in this day and age, when we're in this COVID pandemic, there are things far, far more important than football. Mm. But one is grateful that we're able to be still entertained by it, albeit on television. I've no idea when I'm going to get back to my beloved spiritual home again. I, I miss it terribly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I completely agree. I think, you know, there were doubts around it. Personally, for me, from my perspective, I think I had doubts about Oli, you know, when he after the uh, interim period and we, and we hired him on a permanent basis. And I thought maybe the club have jumped the gun a bit here. But then I think last season, you know, when he finished third, I thought, you know, there's clear, it's clear that he's, he's a competent manager. I mean, there's, I, don't, I think, you know, it'd be wise to say that he isn't, uh, you know, in some way a competent coach. And, you know, this season, obviously, we started so well. And we, you know, we didn't expect to be where we were. Perhaps, you know, panicked a bit. You know, got, sort of got up there yeah. and, and sort of panicked. I just at times question his in-game management. Yeah. You know, substitutions on 86 minutes, 92, 93 minutes. You know, I, I, I have difficulty with that. You know, not going well in the first half. Why wait 20 minutes into the second half before changing something? Mm. So, and, you know, my other thoughts are he has a very inexperienced coaching staff around him with the exception of Mike Phelan. Yeah. You know, the other lads are inexperienced. But, you know, I, I don't know. But I certainly am more comfortable with the likes of, um, you know, Michael Carrick, um, Darren Fletcher, um, the lad from Spurs, sorry, um, his right-hand man. This, he came to us from Spurs. Um, Not uh, Kieran McKenna. Did he, did he come? Kieran McKenna, yeah. I feel more comfortable with them than the likes of Lumsden Round and Philip Neville. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I was going to ask you sort of where where we go from here, really, with regards to this season. Um, you know, yeah. we've, been, we've been stuck in a bit of a strange spot, really. Yeah. We're, just, we're starting yes. to lose sort of Grand City. And... Yes, I think, I think we've lost a bit of traction. And what one would like to see is I'd like to see us win a trophy. It's not going to be the league. Can we win the Europa League or the FA Cup? It would be good to win one of those to progress beyond the semi-final. I think requirements league-wise, at least, are to finish in the top four. And I think that's going to be a struggle. I think Chelsea are on the up. Um, Liverpool, I think, are going to rebound. Mm. You've got the likes of you know, Everton. I mean, believe it or not, West Ham right up there. Leicester playing good football. So, you know, it's interesting to see what's going on up there. And I think that if Oli is retained... The summer transfer window is absolutely crucial because if he does not strengthen the site significantly in the summer, I don't think that this team can progress any further next season. Yeah, I think it's a similar crossroads to when 
um, under Jose Mourinho, you know, obviously we 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 finished uh, sort of when did we finished we finished second, didn't we? Of course we did. We finished second under Jose, and then we finished we, second way behind. Yeah, yeah, yes. But then in the summer, you know, there was that feeling we've got to go and close the gap now. There's a bit of a chance here. We've had a deep, we've had quite a good season, you know, best finish since Fergie left, and the, obviously the window was a disaster. You know, uh, it, was, it was Fred, Diego Dallo, and Lee Grant, I believe, the three signings. I mean, if Oli gets a window like that this summer, it would be... Yes. Um, well, sure. You see, the, the other thing that I find incredibly frustrating as a fan is the media. Yeah. You know, when clubs like Barcelona, Bayern Munich make a signing, there's no rumour mill in place. You suddenly hear that the player's joining them. You know, we linked with 250 different players every season. Mm. And, you know, it becomes sickening with respect to that. And I wonder, the transfer window of Fred, Dello and Lee Grant, were those choices of Jose? Were they choices of Ed Woodward because they were cut price players? I don't know. And we never will know with respect to that. You know, you hear that Jose wanted to buy Harry Maguire at 60 million. It was turned down. We then spent 80 million on him. You hear things like, we had the opportunity to sign um, Virgil van Dijk or Lindelof, we chose the latter. Now, I don't know if these things are true at all. And it's frustrating with respect to that. No, I completely agree. And I think the transfer window, you know, when I was younger, I actually used to enjoy it a, a lot more, I think. But as I've, got, as I've got older, I think it just, it really does frustrate me, all of it. I honest. hate it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. It's just all these names and sources and how reliable sources are and from, you know, you know things coming from different countries and trying to yeah. unscramble it all. It just, oh, it's a, it's a pain. You know, you just want to get yeah. on with the football and, you know, yeah. see, see United. Yeah. And, you know, I think we all know that many of these rumours stem from agents wanting to boost their guys' profile and things like that. And, I mean, I can, I can go and post on Twitter spotted Sergio Ramos's wife in Altrincham looking for a house. You know, it'll go viral. It's the thing, and no one's got the sort of means to verify whether or whether or not you have. Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. like, it gets messy, doesn't it? But we'll, we'll move on from yeah. that. We don't want to dwell too much on the sort of the, uh, the transfer mill. You know, we've got, we've got a few months till that all starts up again, so we can, we can, uh, mm-hmm. we can, we can enjoy that when it arrives. Yes. Um, with regards to some other sort of recent news, United are, at time of recording, apparently looking at, um, extending Edinson Cavani's contract obviously here until the summer and, and then there's an option for an extra year which United are apparently close to exercising I love Edinson yeah. Cavani I think he's been really good I think that contract is a great idea um, yeah. but some people have suggested this week on Twitter I've seen that he's perhaps been a detriment to Greenwood, Rashford and Martial which I completely disagree with I was just wondering where you stand on that matter and what you thought of Cavani I, I would totally agree with your sentiments on that mm. you know these are young lads and yes, they'll get coaching from the coaching staff. But who better to coach you than somebody who's done it all before, who is still an amazing player? Mm. And I have to say, my attention has been drawn a lot to Cavani by some of the pundits that we see on TV who have really highlighted and showed you know, how good he is in terms of movement off the ball, etc. And these are, these are really key factors that I think very often the armchair critic doesn't realise. And of course, unfortunately, what we're not witnessing on television, because you can appreciate it watching a game, is a player's off-the-ball movement, because television tends to focus on where the ball is. And he really is an amazing player to watch. And I think an asset to the squad, 
And, you know, for a guy like Greenwood, I mean, 19 years old, he can only learn from him, that's for sure. Absolutely, completely agree. And um, people probably get bored of me constantly sort of loving and into Cavani on every podcast we make. But I seem to, I have to slip his name in every time because of a. Uh, Absolutely. I think he's such a good player. And his movement, I think, as you say, is just, I, I find it uh, one, of, one of the players I find funnest to watch off the ball. You just sort of watch him pulling people around, yeah. sort of running to the near post. Yeah. Very clever yeah. player. Um, lucky yeah. to have him on our hands. Um, another player who's been, you know, magnificent as well is obviously Bruno Fernandes. You know, yes. I can't can't sort of speak highly enough of him. Um, yeah. His impact on the side Bruno, is fun. I think Bruno has the potential of going down as a great United player in years to come. Obviously, we need to see where this leads because he's early in his United career. But what are amongst many things that I like about Bruno is that he pops up in all areas of the field. And the other thing is, if he's playing badly, he doesn't hide away. He's always looking for the ball. And I think he demands in those around him what he demands of himself. He's scored some sublime goals. He's made sublime assists. He's been an, an injection of fresh air into the squad. That is, that is for sure. And we've cried out for a player like Bruno for many seasons. How would you sort of compare his impact? Is there a sort of signing you can think of in previous eras, you know, in the Stralix era, perhaps a signing that sort of came in and, and injected that? Would you compare it to, say, you know, the signing of Eric Cantona, for example? Yeah, I, I think Cantona is the one that he's been compared to. Yeah. I think that, you know, Cantona is the, is the favourite of so many people. And I mean, he was just magnificent. And I think that, you know, Cantona's arrival sort of spurred on that class of 92. I think a lot of that rubbed off onto them in terms of how to train, how to look after themselves. A phenomenal player who had a tremendous influence on the club. But I think of some other players that have also been the so-called injection of fresh air. Henrik Larsson in 2007. You know, a couple of months he was there and he just changed the dynamic. I thought that was a, a master stroke by Fergie. Um, Zlatan was another player. And it's so disappointing that he picked up that injury because I think that, you know, Zlatan equally so would have been a mentor to the likes of Mason Greenwood. And when you look at United historically, there are not, in, in the striker position, there are not that many players who have come through the youth system into the United side. You know, in recent times, of course, we look at Marcus Rashford, we look at, at Mason Greenwood. But you've really got to go back to the likes of Mark Hughes, Norman Whiteside, and, you know, there are not many others after them that have kicked on as major first-team players. Yeah, yeah. Barry, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I could sit, I could sit here all evening and, and, you know, speak about, you know, the stories you've got and the current United. I mean, it's, it's fantastic speaking to, speaking to people like you with all these fantastic stories. I'm ever grateful that you've, that you've taken time out of your day to, to come on here and, and speak to me. I don't know if you've just had any last words you'd like to sort of uh, give to the listeners. Sure. Well, firstly... I've looked at some of the people that you've had on your podcasts mm. and just to say to you that I'm absolutely privileged that you invite me onto this because I'm a kind of United fan from the other end of the world who's just passionate about the club. And there's this kind of feeling that you have to be from Manchester to be a true United supporter. And I do not agree with that because no. the passion for United in South Africa is as strong as it is on the Stratford end. That I can absolutely assure you. And if there are fellow United fans listening to this, wherever they are all over the world, I send my best wishes out to all of them. 
I hope that everybody stays safe in this awful pandemic and putting on my medical hat for a moment, get vaccinated until such time and even thereafter, wear a mask, sanitize, social distancing and glory, glory, Man United. Barry, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much.